All them together. And they said that all together to show, yo, we soldiers. Like, like, cause the man was fronting on him cause he only had 300 troops. And the other guy had all of these troops and he says, yo, I may have less, but I got more soldiers than you. And a lot of times we're satisfied with numbers. Like we, we're, we're satisfied with just having people in the mix. And it's funny, when they got in the battle, I mean, you see the, 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 the 300 dudes, when they got in the battle, dudes was all succinct together. I mean, they had a, a whole load, all their shields together so nobody can hit one another. Other dudes get up in battle, they just swinging all open, getting stabbed all up. You know, you know what I'm saying? Just like, not trained, you know what I'm saying? And we let, just like he let people get away with calling themselves soldiers, and they weren't really soldiers. We, we, we've had a silent killer in the body of Christ where we've allowed people to get away with calling themselves Christians, and they're not. And so we need to begin the process of doing a paternity test. And Jesus does a paternity test in this part of John. He does a paternity test. And, 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 and he, he does a paternity test to display 
who their daddy was. And the Bible has paternity tests, but we always explain them away. You know, on those shows, it's usually yes, the father, no, the father, or inconclusive. Most of the time, we as Christians use the inconclusive or yes one, but we, we never just say, man, you're probably not a believer. And the Bible, a lot of times, doesn't make a lot of the hoops that we create for making people a believer when they're actually not a believers. And so it's very important that we begin to work through these things. I know that the questions that come up in people's mind, well, we're not perfect. Um, all of us are grown. We're not, we're not talking about a, grown, a progressive sanctification. And you'll see in this passage where Jesus makes the difference between showing who's your daddy. That's what I want to talk about today. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? If Jesus lays these things out, and I'm going to do something a little different today. I know we usually go verse by verse. But I, I've kind of laid this passage out under, under I just did, did it on the characteristics of, of the different fathers. There are three daddies in the passage. The first daddy is Abraham, the second daddy is Satan, and the third is God the Father. All I want to do today is lay out the characteristics of each daddy. And as we roll through these characteristics, and, if you, and, and people that listen online, um, you, you, I want you to, as we go through these characteristics, is test yourself and see if these characteristics show up in your life. And then begin zooming in on this paternity test that the Lord Jesus does in John chapter 8. We're going to do verses 31. We're going to do verses 31 to 59. Verses 31 to 59. Let's look at the first daddy. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'll just walk through the story, and then we'll look at the first daddy. It says, Jesus says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son gets you free or sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and have uh, and you do what you have seen from your father they answered and said abraham is our father jesus said to them if abraham were your, uh, uh, if you were abraham's children you would be doing what abraham did but now you seek to kill me and a man a man who has told you the truth that i heard from god this is not what abraham did you are doing what your father did they said to him we are not born of sexual immorality we have one father even god jesus said to them if god were your father you would love me for i came from god and i am here i came not of my own accord but he who sent me why do you not understand what i say it is because you cannot hear you cannot bear to hear my word you are of your father the devil and you will your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus, in this, in this section, as he goes through and he begins to get in a dialogue, with the Pharisees, at this point in the gospel, everything's coming to a head. It's coming to a head with Jesus Christ presenting himself as the son of God and them presenting themselves as, uh, as sons of spiritual people and sons of God. But Jesus, now he begins to lay out with them. Now, in the latter part, where Pastor Deuce ended last week, the last verse says that many people believed in him. Many people believed in him. Now, it says in, the, in, third, in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews, now, who were the ones that believed in him? Listen to what it says. It says, who had believed in him? Jesus says to the group of Jews who had believed in him. So right here, we're talking about people that have professions of faith. Jesus isn't just talking to the other Jews around. He's talking to the people who have said that they they believe what Jesus said about himself. And so Jesus attacks their profession of faith by laying some ground rules. But before we do that, let's look at the daddies. Let's look at number one, characteristics of the sons of Abraham. There are two larger characteristics of the sons of Abraham. Number one, they are physical descendants. They are physical descendants of Abraham. Look in verses um, uh, uh, 33, 33 through 35. He says, they, they answered and said to him, we are offspring of Abraham. That word offspring is, is, a, is an interesting word. It's the word a, a sperma. And I don't even have to tell you where we get our word from. Offspring means, of course, sperm or semen. We are all seed. So they're saying we are the physical offspring because the point of the emphasis of the word is the point that they have genealogical congruency with Abraham. So in them talking about them having genealogical congruency with Abraham, they're saying, look, look, we can't be sinners because every child born in Israel knows God. Just, just, just call Blanche. And since we are physical descendants, we can trace every one of these guys that were, that were here could trace meticulously their lineage back to Abraham. And they were tracing their physical lineage. But Jesus does something dope. It says, it says in verse, further in verse 33, it says, of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Because Jesus has told them the truth will set them free. How is it that you say you will become free? They got offended because Jesus said that the truth will make them free. And so they begin showing the beginnings of their paternity. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So the children of Abraham, being a physical seed of Abraham only, still have sin. Still have sin. That's a very important piece in here because as they begin to call themselves children of Abraham, he says, yeah, Jesus says later, yeah, I know you're children of Abraham physically. And because you're physically only children of Abraham, you have what Abraham had and that's sin. Solomon in his in his prayer in Second Chronicles um, chapter six, verse thirty six, he said he's beginning to, to confess the sins of the nation in paragraphs and paragraphs. He lays out the history of the Jews and he lays down all the way from the beginning the sin of the, the sin of the nation. And he says and he at one point he breaks in verse thirty six and he says, for there is no one that doesn't sin. And the fact that they do Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, the fact that you even do Day of Atonement is an assumption that you do sin. 
And so they're sitting here fronting like they don't have sin. First John chapter one says, if any man says he doesn't have sin, he's a tr- he, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So they're legalists. You know, we have legalists in the body. People, you can't, they're so prideful, you can't, we won't necessarily say the body, but people who hang around the community of faith, who you can never pin them down, they, I mean, they, they don't do nothing. I've heard dudes say, you know, I've, I've, gone, I've heard dudes say, I've gone five years without sinning. I said, Dad, you need to repent right now. I mean, amazing. I heard, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't do anything in the matter. I mean, most of us will at least say, you know, man, I, 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 I mean, God hasn't shown it to me yet. Maybe I, but dudes, I, I'm, I ain't guilty. My hand, like, they begin to say, we ain't sinned and we've never been enslaved to anybody. Now, let's run the roll call. <laughs> you were, <clears throat> the, the nation was enslaved to, to Egypt. They not only were enslaved to Egypt, they were, the Israelites were enslaved to Assyria. Not only were they enslaved to Assyria, but the, Jude, the, the southern tribes were enslaved to Babylon. They were not only enslaved to Babylon, but they were also enslaved to Persia, after Persia, Greece, and after Greece, Rome. How are you going to say you've never been enslaved? Like, you, you see the depth of their arrogance of only being sons of Abraham. But not only that, not only that, they cruci- people, people that are seeds of Abraham only crucify Jesus Christ. <laughs> Look at what the verse says in verse 40. It says, Jesus responds to them, and he says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Jesus says, if you were sons of Abraham, if you were, if you were more, if you were really, 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 really sons of Abraham in the way that I want to reveal to you that you, you, sh- you should be sons of Abraham, he, he says, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. And so right here in the text, we see again that people that are only physical descendants of powerful people are still blatant sinners. So physical birth or, or, or just being around people who are spiritual and, or, or being born of a preacher or being born of a, a, a missionary family or being born of an evangelist doesn't make a person a Christian. I can't stand when people say, I say, when you're trying to share the gospel with them, they say, I've been a Christian all my life. I say, that is a theological impossibility. But I was born, you know, straight. I was like, dang, so you was confessing in the womb, huh? In the, in the embryonic fluid, praying to the Lord, huh? Like, again, no, no, no. All of us are born wrong. That's why we need to be born. There you go. There you go. So they're not only physical descendants. Y'all tracking with me still? They're not only physical descendants of Abraham, but then there are spiritual descendants of Abraham, which Jesus will lay out. Now, the spiritual descendants of Abraham are different than merely physical uh, descendants of Abraham because spiritual descendants of Abraham don't have to be physical descendants of Abraham to be spiritual descendants of Abraham. Now, check out what, 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 what Jesus goes on in the text, verses 39 and 40. Jesus says, they, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, that means for real, for real, you would, you would be doing what Abraham did. Number one, if you're spiritual children, you will reflect the, uh, Abraham, uh, the faith that Abraham modeled in his life. You will reflect the faith that Abraham modeled in his life. Hebrews chapter 11. 
points out what, Ab- what, what, what Abraham did in relation to God. Verse 8 through 10. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he, he, uh, um, that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has, uh, that has foundations whose, uh, whose designer and builder was God. So Abraham's faith was so beastly that he wasn't only looking for physical return on his faith, but he was looking on an eternal return for his faith. So if Jesus is like, if you were really children of Abraham, not physical seeds, but spiritual seeds of Abraham, if you are really spiritual seeds, then you would do what Abraham did. But not only that, you show the works and do the works that reflect genuine faith. Verses 39 and 40, he says, you will do what he did. Look over uh, back at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. He said, by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom he said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the, So the sons of Abraham not only have Abraham's faith, but they have Abraham's works, and they have sacrificial obedience. They have sacrificial obedience. And so Jesus doesn't see the sacrificial obedience reflected in Abrahamic faith. Lastly, they believe Jesus believe Jesus to be fulfiller of the promises of God. And looking towards the city because when, with the way they look at faith in the Old Testament is they look to the promise of the promised seed of Messiah. And so they were looking forward. And that's why Jesus at the end begins talking about the fact that Abraham looked forward to his day. And we'll explain that a little later. So those are the characteristics of the sons of Abraham or the DNA of the sons of Abe. But now we're going to go into the DNA of the sons of Satan. What does it look like to be a child of Satan? Y'all ready? Now, I'm just saying what Jesus said. I'm not making nothing up. I'm going to take you right to the verse that tells you what a child of Satan looks like. Y'all ready? Let's dig in. Characteristics of a child of Satan, verse 43. Verse 43. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, powerless to understand the word of God. Powerless to understand the word of God. Powerless to understand. A person that is merely, now we're not talking about you needing to grow and you need to get some exegetical tools. and That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about every time a word is given from God and it's explained down to the nooks and crannies of walking down your street, knocking on your door, going in your kitchen and sitting down in the table in the level of its application, and you still can't respond to the word of God, you may not be a child of God, you may be a child of Satan. 
hard sayings, y'all. If you never can, if you can't bear, somebody start dropping scriptures on you and you never want to hear it. Like I, I'm like, like I wept all the way to church this morning. Just thinking, just the thankfulness, like, cause I'm like, Lord, yo, do I respond to your word? Like, am I always angry, not hurt, and wanting to press through it? I'm just talking about flat foot, defying it, and don't want to hear the words of God. Jesus says, <coughs> no, I know y'all not, you're not a child of God. It's because you can't even, I like the way the New American Standard said, he said, you can't stand me. You can't stand to hear the word of God. You can't stand the word of God. How many of you have ever met people that go to church and enjoy church, they, they cry and weep during worship. They run around the church. But then when you confront them about what's clearly a sinful life, they say, God knows my heart. The issue is, yeah, he does know your heart, dog. Like, that's not a braggadocious statement. Like, God knows my Next time you say that, remember that. that you're not bragging. Like, because God does know your heart. Like, really loves your heart. Nooks and crannies. Not just the stuff you try to put on the top. This, Thank you, Lord. I love you. But then the stuff up under there when nobody's around. The stuff, he knows all of it. Nooks and crannies, crevices, everything. Where the fat is, the t- everything. Where the blood, everything. Every, every single piece of our heart, he knows. And when we don't respond to his word, we need to be afraid. I can't, I'm tired of people not being able to take a rebuke. Just can never, nobody can't tell you anything. You need to check yourself. You may not be a child of God. Hard stuff. Not only that, cannot discern spiritual truth. Same verse. He says, why do you not understand what I say? Why do you not understand what I say? It can also be translated, what I am speaking. Jesus has a way of speaking, of course, that is readily recognizable because the Father draws the children of God to it. Now, when you're not a child of God, you're not drawn to what God says. And so Jesus says, why don't, he's like, yo, this should, this should, this should have hit you by now. He told Nicodemus, he says, you're a teacher of the scriptures of, in Israel and you don't understand what I'm saying? Fundamental stuff. Next thing, display demonic passions. I didn't say it. It's in the verse. He says, you are of, of and of your father, um, of, and the, the way this is used, and it, it's, a, it's what's called a genitive of source in the Greek. And, and, and when it says of, like Jesus, remember he says, you're not of God, meaning not born of God, right? But he says, you are of your father, the devil. He says, you are actually born of Satan, not born of God. Wow. Every person that's born into this world, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says that the devil is our daddy. Everybody has at one point in time in their life been the, the, the devil was your daddy. 
And he said the way he paid child support was through lustful desires and evil desires and evil passions, allowing our minds to indulge. Another piece of child support payment that he would give is he gave you some glasses. And those glasses are called deflectors of the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three and four. That's the way the devil pays child support. He says, you have the, pa-. now the word here is a, is, a, is a word that can be used in a multiplicity of ways. The word uh, desires or passions. Epithumeo is the Greek word. Epithumeo, which, which, which means passions or, 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 or intensive desires. They can be positive desires. They can be negative desires. It's used positively, positively in First uh, Timothy chapter three, verse one, when he says, "Any man that desireth, that epithumeos the, the the office of a bishop or overseer." It can be used good, but then uh, Colossians chapter three, around the fifth verse, talks about the fact that we are all drawn of the believers. Um, uh, bad passions have the evil passions. Evil passions. And so what he says here is that one of the things that that lays out whether or not a person is a children of God, a child of God or not, are their passions, what they're passionate about, what you hear them talking about, what they break their neck to get to, who they break their neck to get to, how they structure their lives. What, what, what do you see on, what, what type of screensaver do they have up on their computer? What are the most frequent websites of their life? What did they listen to in their radio? What, what, everything, passions. If your life doesn't show signs of redemptive passions, you may not be God's. We got to step it up. And how we talk to our people in the community. of That's why we talk about community so much. We don't talk about community so much so we can have a lollygagging trip for us to get together, lick on lollipops, and talk about movies. We get together because we want to synchronize, sync up our hearts and passions around Jesus and his cross and his life and his resurrection, his ascension, and his throne. That's that. So, so, so right here, Jesus says, man, every time I say something to you, dog, like all these, these, some raging stuff just come up out of you. This different than like if you was a child of God and you was passionate about the things of God, then this would be readily. But man, like even and I, oh, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Ah, <laughs> man, I want to drop that right now. It's funny. <clears throat> This is, the, this is the key component in the passage when Jesus is talking about you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do his desires. This is the key one above all to show whether or not a person is a child of God. What, what, what illustrates this is, 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 is the movie Face Off. Who saw Face Off? It's funny. You had John Javolta and, 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 and Nick Cage. They, of course, switched faces and body structures and everything. So, I mean... Nicholas Cage looked like John Travolta, walked like John Travolta, talked like John Travolta, smelled like John Travolta. John Travolta looked like Nicholas Cage, walked like Nicholas Cage, blinked like Nicholas Cage, did his hair like Nicholas Cage, wore the gear of Nicholas Cage. But one thing, when when Nicholas when when John Travolta in the form of Nicholas Cage was in jail and they wanted him to do what was normal to the person's body that he was in, his passions were different. He couldn't kill like, like, like your man Nick did. 
He couldn't, he couldn't fight like your boy Nick did. He did he, I mean, he wasn't doing drugs like your boy Nick did. And Nicholas Cage dressed as a, a basically some type of FBI agent or DEA agent or whatever type of agent he was, a marshal. Um, he was doing, he, he started smoking. He started, like, doing all types of stuff. When his daughter went in looking at, um, you know what I'm saying, his dude's daughter, like he about to be, go on some pedophilia ministry. I mean, I mean, he was doing all types of stuff. Like, they looked like one another. They talked like one another. They dressed like one another. They smelled like one another. But at the end of the day, when you looked at their passions, their passions didn't reflect the person's, uh, the person's suit that they had on. And many of us, many of us have on our Bible suit. Many of us have on our praise suit. Many of us have on our Bible quoting suit, our prayer suit. But when you really go down to the nooks and crannies of our passions, you can't fool God. Pat, like, 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 I don't understand. Like, I, we, we are, we're wrecking our brains. Like, how, like, they say they're Christian. I remember I did about, <laughs> I did about 35 funerals in one year. A few years ago, when I was assistant pastor at this church. I remember one funeral in particular. This guy was grandmama's baby. Grandmama's baby. Grandmama, baby died. They had a picture of him. He was so messed up from his death that they just put a picture of him up. Never forget it. And when people got to the time where, you know, they set the mics up, everybody begins coming up and talking about what that person's life was like. You had the most lionest group of people coming up to the, oh, my, he was a, he was, he was a, he was blessing. You know, he, he helped me out. He did this. Oh, man, he was passionate for people. He helped me out. Man, he, he gave me some loot. He this, he that, he this, he that. I mean, just lying. And then somebody had the nerve to come up in there and said, you know, something like, you know, I had him in Sunday school class when he was five years old. And I remember one day when he made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just believe that he's in heaven. Tupac, Biggie, I hate the picture of the Lord's Supper thing with them up there. It's blasphemy. We give people spiritual, and Christians say, you better not judge that. You, I mean, you don't know their heart. You don't know what God was doing in their life. We, I mean, if we, he could have trusted Jesus on his bedside. Do you know that? If you don't know that, stop saying they're Christian. They're not. If they're not, they're not. People do go to hell. Now, I know we're not used to hearing stuff like this, but we need to hear this every now and then. Folk do go to hell. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so I, I, I'm just, let me move on. I'm just doing that all day. Uh, alienated from God's truth. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your, and, and, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. For when he lies, when he lies, he speaks out of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What he does is Jesus puts up what's called a DNA fingerprint. 
A DNA fingerprint is when they put the joint up that shows you the, what the DNA of the daddy looks like and what the DNA of the child extracted looks like. And he says, man, every, he says, this is the characteristics of the devil. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He speaks out of his own character. Now let me go on this side and put your DNA fingerprint up. Are you a liar? Are you a murderer? Do you have faulty character? Oh, match. You're the daddy. Devil's your daddy. He speaks out of his own nature. And right here in this passage, it says he was a murderer from the beginning. How was he a murderer from the beginning? When he lied to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were in spiritual, eternal life with God, a spiritual life with God, and they sinned, and they died spiritually, they got murdered. When the devil filled Cain's heart to kill Abel, he was a murderer. He says from the beginning, he has on his agenda to knock off, he has a hit on everyone that has a connection to bringing about redemption. And he wants to murder them, just like he murdered our Savior. The devil murdered our Savior, and God legislated it. But little did he know that there was something that God had put a booby trap in his murdering technique. Because what the enemy meant for evil, God used it for good. And so what we see, we don't realize, like, like this is what, when people want to murder Truth, when it's put out on the table, and they, are, they want to assassinate, God is not like that. See, you always got to say it like that. You always, murderers. Murderers. Lacks authentic belief. They lack authentic belief. Back up to verse 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, notice they said that they believed in him. Look at verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Those who believe in him now jump over to verse 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. Now, how in the world did they have belief in the beginning of the passage, but don't have belief at the end of the passage? Real easy. I can't go there because of time. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and Matthew chapter uh, 13. When you get time, go there. Look at the parable of the soils. When you look at the parable of the soils and you look through Jesus' explanation of the parable of the soils, the only soil that bore fruit was the one that Jesus authorizes as being saved. There were those who received the word of God with joy. They, they even got around the community. They, they got baptized. They hung around. But then all of a sudden, they fell away. You never seen them again. They probably, They are not saved. We have, to, we have to begin saying, like, I'm not saying we just go out there on a rampage and with, without a heart of love. Because our passion is to see people saved. But our passion is not to lie to people about them being saved. Because telling them they're saved is worse. It's worse. Somebody's looking at me right now. He, they, see, that's what I don't like about y'all. Y'all always got to, gotta, gotta, like, split them. Like, it's some great. Like, you don't have to make a line in the sand. No, you got to. Jesus did it. We got to lay the line in the sand. If a person ain't saved, they're not saved. That, that's, a, that's good news, though. Like, that's good news. Because you can't get saved unless you don't know that you're not saved and need to be saved. So, 
showing someone that they're a son of Satan is a good thing because they don't have to remain a son of Satan. That's the key. So hear this in that spirit. Uh, I got more to say about that, but time is fleeting away from me. I got to go on to the characteristics of the sons of God. Oh, my God. Like on the way this morning, I was just meditating on being a son of God, man. I mean, man, and like as we go through these characteristics, I want you, we, 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 we talk about Jesus so much. We, we have him in our worship. We have him in our prayer time. We, we talk about him on the way. We do this for a reason. We do this for not to just be blurters, but for a reason. To keep our affections for his way fresh. That's why we do it. We keep, we, we want to do this to keep our the affections on this fresh and listen to how Jesus says, listen. Listen, this is what it looks like to be, to have God as your father. Number one, faithful to what Jesus Christ says. Back to verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Not just a believer. A disciple. Let me say that again. Not just the like the Bible doesn't measure whether or not someone is saved because of their belief. That like we do, that's included, but not belief alone. Them being a disciple. We know that we get saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We're kept by the gospel, but the gospel bears fruit. That's what we're going to talk about in John 15, so I'm not going to dive into abiding. But the word abiding is a word, the Greek word that means to remain, to stay, to dwell, to chill, to kick it, to enjoy, to relax your feet and be in the midst of what you are trying to get some of. That's what it means. Real simple. Real simple. Jesus says, if you believe and I don't see you no more, you're not a disciple. Wow. That's bananas. If a person trusts Christ, fills out, fills out our little thing, say they trusted Christ, and when we call them back to follow up with them and they don't answer the phone, they are not a disciple. If we have an outreach on the street and 200 people come up weeping and crying, and we, Jesus says, listen, if we follow you up and we don't ever see you again or you don't get in the community of faith somewhere, you are not a disciple. Jesus says, my disciples hang with me. They stay around me. They kick it with me. They talk with me. They remain during the hard times when all hell breaks loose. They're still in my midst, trusting that I'm going to lead them on the right path. A disciple. A disciple.
Notice that what was going on in the community of faith. They were praying. They were were 47. It says God added to their numbers daily. Now, it didn't say that they went on. They, They said, okay, is there one this morning? The doors of the church are open. It says, no, God was adding to their numbers daily. Know how the New Testament church knew that you was a disciple and not a fluke? If you if you heard the gospel and you stayed around, that was that was it. Like if you came and trusted Jesus, it's like okay, see you next week. Or well, man, we we'll be chopping it up over so and so's house on Thursday or whatever. When they got over the house and they saw you, oh, he a disciple probably. Let's let's see how he comes around. If they continued to come around, they said he's probably a believer. Engage him, talk to him, and that's a, like this thing today. We just want we just want numbers, like. But we, we need, especially in our generation, we need some, some minnows, some abiders. Oh, my God. We need some, some, some abiders. We need some people that will remain and stick to some stuff. You know, we, we hate one thing. One thing happened, and we, we hit the door. We hit the door. I'm going over here. You know, and you'll never get connected. And just because you jump from community to community doesn't mean you're a disciple. Because it's funny that everywhere you go, you find something wrong. I'm still in the Bible, but you never find anything wrong with you. You may not know Jesus. It's hard stuff, y'all. He says, intimately acquainted with the truth. That's my next point. He says right here, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then um, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth in Johannine thought, John's thought, is not just intellectual. It, it, does, it's, it is intellectual information. It's not just the passing on of information. It's not just, I mean, it's, it's not just that. The truth in John's thought is a person. And the truth in John's thought is the truth about a person. The truth, Jesus is the person. The truth about Jesus is the gospel. Jesus says, you shall know Jesus, you shall know truth. The gospel and the gospel, Jesus shall set you free. First John said, I am the way, the truth, absolute truth. Found and injected into a skin suit called the person of Jesus Christ. 100% God, 100% man. If that's not who we believe in, we are not disciples. Now, if you believe in them, then you are a disciple. If you are remain around, if you, you are a disciple. But he says, you shall know the truth. He says, my disciples, he says, let me tell you what they're like. They know the truth. Not just information. You can know information and not know Jesus. You can re- I know people that can recite the gospel. They can recite the catechisms. They can, they, you, that doesn't make you a Christian, even though that information is important to point to the person. But if the person never gets wrapped up in why you get the information, why you do what you do, then, man, that's not what it's supposed to be. It is supposed to be us knowing Jesus. He is the truth. But then Jesus says something about the truth. He said, you can't just acknowledge the truth. He says, I'm just preaching some observations. Is that okay? He says, you just don't know that Jesus is the truth. It has to show up in you becoming free. Like if, if there's no area of your life that shows freedom, 
I mean, no area. We're not talking about just sanctified struggles. You know, we, I'm talking about you just abandon even working through it. You know what I'm saying? He says, he says, if you've really encountered the person of Jesus Christ, your life will display freedom. Not just positional freedom, practical freedom. Like every Christian gets positional freedom. Like we can all say, oh, I'm free. Thank God. Hallelujah for deliverance. We talk about true freedom. There needs to be some things that you used to do that you don't do. There needs to be some moralistic approaches that are injected with Jesus that influences the truth in how you do what you don't used to do. Somebody missed that. <laughs> you don't just religiously come around, but <coughs> passions for a person makes you come around when you don't feel like it. When you don't feel like it. This is a good Bible, y'all. <laughs> but not only that, I said the experience truth. I got all ahead of myself. Okay, truth about Jesus. There are two types of truth about Jesus. There's general truth and there's specific truth. And that's what I was just talking about. General truth is the person of Jesus Christ. Specific truth is the application and the working out of the truth, getting into the nooks and crannies of our life, causing practical freedom. You got that? All right. But not only that, they mimic the lives of exemplary believers. Wow. Look at verse 39 again. It says, <coughs> they said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, you, will, you would be doing what Abraham did. Wow. A person that knows Jesus Christ reflects the works of exemplary believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the only place in the Bible where it talks about women. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It gives you theological, exegetical, and hermeneutical freedom to go back over to the Old Testament, look at women who walk with God, Zipporah, Rahab, uh, Esther, Sarah. It tells you to make a list of all the women in the Old Testament, do a character study on each and every one of them, and do what they did. It says they, they follow after the women of old. Wow. Like, they look, to, they look to beastie women in the faith who are Tyrannosaurus Rexes in the kingdom of God. And they take off of that and they begin to live the Christian life based on looking at other beastie people of God. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if we just started reintroducing ourselves to biblical icons? Oh, my God. If, if biblical icons drove us, if, if you say, man, if I could just do what Abraham did in this, if, if I could just be like David and how I, if I could just, we all looking at Jesus ultimately. But Jesus does say, look at other B.C. believers that responded properly to me. Uh, uh, I, I wish we would just catch it. I wish we would catch it and begin to just drawing on, like, people around, even in our day and age, who are walking with Jesus. Not just the guy that gets up to the mic, but people that walk with Jesus in the silence, but in the community of faith, who are beastie. And you're beginning to say, you, you should be humble enough to walk up to them and ask, can you help me reproduce in my life what I see about Jesus in you? Help me, help me. I need help. Disciple me. Oh, who's ever asked that question? Pour into me. 
and all of us are responsible for it. Every one of us are supposed to be an icon for somebody else. All of us. All of us are supposed to be a beast in our Christianity through submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ so that somebody looks at our life and it's off the meter to the point where somebody got to have that attribute of the Lord Jesus Christ working out in their life. Maybe it's how someone prays and you say, man, what do you do to nurture a passion in your prayer life? Man, I see you quote a lot of scriptures and I I just see it's not just quoting of scriptures. How do you submit to your husband like that? He's He's a... I mean, how do you submit to him like that? Um, just trying to find out. How do, you, how do you lead your wife even though she's? How do you all have a marriage like that? How do you all raise your children? I want to know. How do you, as a, as a sister walking with Jesus, don't turn your eyes at the fine dudes around you? How do you find solace? How do you, as a brother, all you're a good-looking brother. You're a model-type dude. How come when the chicks come up to you and try to holler at you in the body and outside the body, you don't turn your Teach me that. Teach me that. I want that. Oh, God was committed. Disciples. He wants us to look like, can you imagine a community of people that are real believers, that are real disciples, that are real, for real, for real, and they're learning from one another. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I can't learn from somebody who's better in the area of life than I am. Now, everybody won't say, every leader won't say that. But there's some stuff people in this congregation probably do better than me before the Lord. I need to learn that from you. Oh, man, that's some craziness, right? But it takes humility. It takes humility to admit that you, that you jacked up. Because, see, Jesus in the text says, how can you say you've never been enslaved? He says, you're a liar, just like your father. But if you're telling the truth, we'll tell the truth, and then we'll say, I need you, Jesus. Ah, I got to move. Ah. Another affection that Jesus says before we get ready to close. They just love Jesus. Look at, look at verse 42. It says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Dang. Simple. <laughs> You'll just love me. You'll love me. Like, when I come up, like, anybody got a food that they really, really like? And when they're hungry and they smell it, they can tell that it ha- they can smell the spices on it, the herbs on it, and your stomach just start growling. When you love Jesus, you can smell him in the atmosphere. And, when, and you're like, oh, mm. Jesus is here. <laughs> Man, like we, we've got to, like, we've got to develop an aroma of the love of Christ in this place. And we gotta and we gotta love him. Not, I'm not just talking about being fat, like you trying to really work hard to put it on and you really don't have you just check. And if you just check, we'll work through it, we'll take you through the gospel, boom. But we're talking about desires based on the new nature that God has imputed to us through the righteousness of Christ that begins to say, I I, I want to be developed and I want to grow up and I love Jesus. I love how he thinks even though sometimes he frustrates me. Listen, (coughs) love means to love Jesus by affection and obedience. Affection does not mean merely repenting through void tears, superficial excitement. 
but unwavering desire to be around him, repentant tears, exuberant responsiveness to his presence, liking him actually, not like liking him, liking him. Like people can say, oh, he loved the Lord. No. Do you like him? Obedience, doing what he says. Let me read something Lovelace says as I get ready to close. I got to close this down. But check out what Lovelace says. Dynamics of spiritual renewal. He said, the distinguishing marks of the work of the Spirit of God, this is someone in someone's life. He says, defended the revival uh, because it possessed five marks of genuineness. It exalted Jesus Christ, attacked the kingdom of darkness, honored the scriptures, promoted sound doctrine, and involved in the outpouring of love towards God and man. In thoughts on revival... In New England, 1742, a treatise concerning religious affections, that's by Jonathan Edwards, Edwards especially concerned to make clear that fallen human nature is fertile ground for fleshly religiosity, which is impressively spiritual, but ultimately rooted in self-love. High emotional experiences, effusive religious talk, and even praising God and experiencing love for, uh, uh, love for God and man can be centered and self-motivated. In contrast to this, experiences of renewal, which are genuinely from the Holy Spirit, are God-centered in character, based on worship, and appreciation of God's worth and grandeur, divorced from self-interest. Man, we... As the people of God have to focus deeply on these things. Jesus ends the passage in this paternity argument. Because they tried to front like Jesus was born of sexual immorality. And Jesus doesn't even go into virgin birth. He doesn't say go down to the synagogue in Bethlehem and find out what my lineage is. You'll find out that I'm... He didn't do that. At the end of the passage, says... They answered him and said, are we not right by saying, verse 48, that you are Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered and said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. <laughs> Look down. He says, they say, they say down here at verse 53, he says, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Just, I mean, uh, uh, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, I, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If, you, if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like y'all. But I do not... But I do not know him, um, I'm sorry, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, verse 56. He saw the day and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old yet. That was the age when cats really were able to be in leadership and be elders in Jerusalem. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The covenant name of God. He says, listen, I'm not even talking about the physical, my physical age. I'm talking about my spiritual age. My spiritual age is eternal age. 
which there's no age. I'm just the ancient of days. Whew. Jesus says, I don't know if y'all know or not, but when Adam and Eve sinned, and it said, the Lord called out his voice, that was me. When Abraham was promised the year before Isaac was born, and it said three men showed up by the oaks of Mamre in Genesis 18, Jesus said, yo, that was me. When, when, Jacob, when Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 was wrestling with God by the Jordan River, when he was wrestling with God, the person he had a, a UFC match was Jesus Christ. In, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, when he was staring into the burning bush, Moses, that was Jesus he was talking to. When Joshua had to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground, and, 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 and Joshua chapter 5, and, the, and he bowed down to the ground, and the angel, the person told him not to get up. I mean, didn't tell him to get up like the usual angels, but they stayed down. He said, I am the captain of the Lord's army. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, before Abraham existed, I was doing stuff before Abraham even came on the scene, fam. He says, so before Abraham was... Ego I me. I am who I am. And he says, my name before I took on the name Jesus was Yahweh. All three of us are the Lord, and I'm the Lord too. The Bible says, and they picked up stones and tried to kill them, showing their true paternity. Oh, God. We are in desperate need to clear some pews out or bring re- we need revival in, our, in the seats of our churches, God. That people <coughs> may begin to know their true <coughs> spiritual lineage and heritage. Lord God, forgive us as the church for being more hungry for numbers than we are disciples. Lord God, we want to have true believers in the midst. We want your chosen. We want your remnant. We want your creme de la creme, those who are really of God. Lord God, I pray that people will begin to evaluate themselves, that we would evaluate ourselves, and that when confronted, that there's honesty with whether we know Jesus or not. That's a, that's a real important thing. That's, that's, that's one thing we can never recover from, God, not knowing him. God sparked revival like in the 1800s and the 1700s, the 1600s and the 1500s, where people that were in pews were reengaged with the gospel and began to confess their sins and were rebooted after the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need in our mix, Lord God. There are a lot of churches. There are 3,000 churches in Philly. 3,000. Lord God, and if all the churches were filled with people, out of the 1.5, uh, only the 1.5 is in Philly, only the rest of the 1.2 won't be able to sit down in the church. So we don't just want sit-down people. We want people who are disciples. God, we pray that our city, the city of Philadelphia, there will be revival. There will be revival in our churches, no matter how big, no matter how small. 
Help there to be a revival in leadership all over this area, Lord God. Help there to be a revival, Lord God, in, 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 our, in, our, in our evangelism. Help there to be revival in our prayer. Help there to be revival, Lord God, in our, in our time with you. Help, our, uh, help us to have revival in our finances. Help us to have revival in our relationships. Help us to have comprehensive, unadulterated revival. Help there to be revival in the rearing of children. Help there to be revival in marital relationships. Help single, singlehood to be rev, rev, revived by the gospel. Lord, we need it. We need it. We need you. We want you. We want you around, Jesus. We want you around, Jesus. We don't want the enemy around. We don't want the devil around. We want you around, Lord God. We want, we want to be shaped after your passions. So, God, do a work in us. Do a work in us. And as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, Lord, help us to take it under the right portion. Maybe someone here, Lord God, does not know Jesus as their Savior. Lord God, I I pray that they would trust Jesus, the one who came to remove sin, admitting that they are enslaved, just like anybody that comes to God must recognize that he's holy and they're not. And God, I pray that they would recognize the Lord Jesus Christ had sin placed on him so that when he died, the sin died with him. And when he got up from the grave, he got up with all power in his hands. And when he ascended to heaven, he intercedes for him at the right hand of the Father until he returns to judge. Lord God, help them to trust in that Savior. Help them to trust in him. And help us to continue to trust in him. Help us to remain. Help us to stick. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. we move into taking uh, what's called communion, uh, where we observe the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This portion is for people who are uh, believers only. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, again, uh, like Pastor E was saying, not just a person who's uh, religious, but if you're not certain that you and God are in a proper relationship through Jesus Christ, then you let this pass. You don't have to feel embarrassed about people seeing you let it pass. Uh, This is a portion where we who are actually purchased by the Lord Jesus partake in this portion. So um, why don't we get ready?
Lord Jesus has uh, ordained that on a regular basis his people rally around a table. Table is the, uh, the, a sign of intimacy, of close-knitness around the elements. The elements in this case would be uh, his body which was given for us and his blood which was shared. The Jews were familiar with it. The, Lord, uh, the Passover meal was where they would rally around God's faithfulness to deliver them.